You're listening to the Citrus Church Podcast. Now, here's the message. Now, there's no surprise to you. I don't have to, I'm not going to surprise you when I say that there is conflict in the world, that there's conflict in our lives, that you may have conflict with your neighbors, uh, with your partner, with friends, with family. And I think that we as a people are, are really good at two parts of conflict. We're really good at conflict avoidance. I am an expert at conflict avoidance. I avoid it like the plague. Like I am well-versed, I am well-schooled in this. And there's some of us, some of you here, who are well-versed in conflict escalation. Like you know how to take something that's like this level of conflict and like bring it up to here, like real quick. And you brought it up to here and I'm trying to bring it down to here. I'm trying to avoid it, you're trying to escalate it, right? And that's just not in my life and in your life. That's not just in our neighborhoods and in our communities. That's in our country. We're in the, these, these moments of, of, of rapid escalation of conflict and rapid avoidance on one hand, and it feels like neither of these is making any difference in the world, right? So James wants to take us a different route. He doesn't need to give us a lesson in avoiding or in escalating. What we need, in fact, is a lesson in how to resolve conflict. How to resolve conflict. So this morning, as we look at our scriptures, what James wants to teach us is how we resolve conflict. And my hunch, without maybe a show of hands, is that all of us are experiencing at this point some level of conflict within our home, within our life, within our work, within our commute, within our experiences in the world, within the things we see around us, right? Conflict is around us, and maybe just for the sake of today, I want to invite you in the, in the space of your mind just to call into mind one of the places of conflict that you're experiencing right now. If you're an avoider, maybe call one of those little things into conflict. Don't like stress yourself out this morning. So think about one of the things that has put conflict into your life. I want you to hold on to that throughout the sermon today. And I want to take us to James chapter 4 where James begins to introduce us to the source of our conflict. James writes, what is the source of conflict among you? What is the source of your disputes? Don't they come from your cravings that are at war in your own lives? You long for something you don't have, so you commit murder. You are jealous for something you can't get, so you struggle and fight. You don't have because you don't ask. You ask and don't have because you ask with evil intentions to waste it on your own cravings. You unfaithful people, don't you know that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? Or do you suppose that the scripture is meaningless? Doesn't God long for our faithfulness in the life he has given to us? Wow. I mean, James cuts to the core real quick. And James starts pointing fingers real quick, too. So, in fact, what James says is that you all have conflict around you. You're all experiencing this. And it's not them who's creating the conflict. It's you. That's kind of bold. Like, I don't know James. James doesn't know me. Like, how does he know I'm the source of all the conflict in my life? I've got a lot of people that I could tell you are the source of the conflict in my life. Right? I bet you could point to some people, too. Don't point to people who are in here. Okay. That creates more conflict, right? Just avoid pointing to people. 
James goes on to tell us, he says, basically the reason why you experience conflict and wars within us and around us, the source of all these things is because of what's going on inside you and inside of me. James says the conflict is my fault. Your conflict is your fault. And that's kind of hard to hear. Because my thought is, is the reason why I have conflict is because of differences that I have with other people. Mostly because of how they're different from me. It's because of stress that we experience at work or at home. Uh, It's because of particular drivers on the road or perhaps when someone throws a tantrum next to us. Or perhaps the reason why we experience conflict is just because of the change around us at all levels. It's easy for us to point outward and say, that's why there's conflict. That's why I'm struggling. That's why things are wrong right now. And James is inviting us to look in the mirror and to say, the source of our conflict is because of what's going on in our own hearts and our own lives. And so he says the reason that we have conflict is because, A, we don't have something. And so because there is something that we don't have, we end up with these selfish desires and we, we want the things that we don't have. Whether it's the newest technology or the biggest house or, or the different types of things that we see around us. We're basically saying we don't have it. And so we have conflict. He's saying on the other hand, on, on side B, the reason we have conflict is because we can't get it. There are things that we want in our lives Things that we're looking for, not just physical stuff, maybe even a relationship. And the struggle is because we can't get what we're looking for. It's not that it's not something that we can accomplish on our own. It's that there are simply factors outside of us that keep us from getting what we want or what we even think that we need. And so James is saying it's because we want it and we can't have it or we just simply can't get it. And this is why we experience conflict. But he's telling us the source is internal. And James is calling us out and saying it's because of the pride and the greed and the envy in our own lives. Like we realize this is a hard passage to read. James is practical and he's down to earth, but man, he is not easy. He says it exactly how it is. He's not a conflict avoider. When James says that, what he's telling us is that we struggle with pride. Pride tells us that we are better or superior to someone else. And because of that reason, we deserve more. Now, most of us don't look at someone else and say, oh, (laughs) clearly I am better than them. And I should be more important than them. We don't, I think, say those things out loud. We don't really probably even think those things consciously. but, But in our lives, and when we're not paying attention we begin to elevate ourselves and say, well, at least I'm not as bad off as they are. Or I'm not as much of a bad person as they are. And so slowly we begin to allow our pride to bubble up to say, I am up here and others are down here. And so because I am up here, I deserve things. Or I deserve this or that. James says the source of our conflict is because we have an elevated view of ourselves. And we've lifted ourselves up as the most important person, or our family, or what we do, or what we're about. But he also calls out the greed that we experience. Quite simply, we want the stuff that others have. And the stuff that I want is probably different than the stuff you want. There's probably 
uh, cars that you might drive by that mean nothing to you, but cars that I might see that are more interesting to me. For example, in our neighborhood yesterday, uh, someone rolled up with a trailer behind their truck, and they had a rusted out, I think, 1980s CJ7 Jeep. This thing was like rusty, it was in bad shape, the tires looked rough, it was missing the roll cage, so if it flipped over, everybody's just getting squished, right? This thing was rough. It, it was not comparable to the Maserati next door, okay? <laughs> Which that's not my house, by the way, <laughs> right? right? So some of us may be uh, uh, enticed by the Maserati in the driveway next door. I was enticed by the Project Jeep right there because I thought back to my dad when he had his and the hours we spent and, and the love for that. And there's nothing wrong with those kinds of things. What happened would be if I started to become greedy for that and placing my need and desire for that Jeep or that car or that thing above whatever else is going on. And James calls out the jealousy that we experience. And I wonder, as we think about summer, if anyone has experienced that kind of jealousy. For all the good that Facebook does, what it offers to us is picturesque views of everyone else's summer. And I don't know at the beginning of summer what you hoped your summer would look like. My hope is that it turned out exactly as it was. My hope is that it's been a refreshing time for you. But it's quite simple for us to look at Facebook and to see what others are doing and to become jealous. Because either we weren't able to do those vacations, we didn't have the resources, or we couldn't make the time. And so jealousy quietly begins to spring up as we, as we scroll through and we see what others are doing, what others have, and we begin to feel those things well up inside of us. And what James is trying to tell us is it's not their fault. That's on us. And I recognize this morning that's hard to hear. I think this must have been a problem back then too. It's not just a modern problem because James is writing this letter to a church and he needs to take a chapter to deal in his five-chapter book with this problem of pride and greed and jealousy and conflict. And so we can take some ease knowing that at least throughout the scope of human history, we're struggling with things that our brothers and sisters throughout the ages have always struggled with. It seems like in James's church that there must have been a problem with people who wanted leadership or had certain gifts that they wanted to be able to do. They wanted certain influence and certain reputation, and they wanted to be lifted up and celebrated and put on a pedestal. And James is trying to say, you're doing all this stuff for the wrong reason. It's not about serving so that someone can say, look how close to Jesus they are, right? So James is addressing those issues with them. But I think we struggle with the same issues today, and it may not be per se in church, but I think... We see this play out time and time again in our lives, especially outside of church. It's the desire that we have to stand out and to win at any cost. And that is one of those very subtle things that, especially in a community like Horizon West, is not really talked about, but is celebrated and is put out there. This desire to place ourselves further and further up the ladder, more and more apart, and to try to find a way to win at any cost. And James tells us that what we're doing is we're playing the game of life by the world's rules. That's what he means when he says you can't be friends with the world and friends with God. He's saying you're trying to play life by the world's rules 
And essentially, you're, you're losing with God because of that. Now, I'm not one to draw a line in the sand very often and say that things are black and white. As I've learned and grown in the faith, what I've learned is that there is usually not an option A and B and nothing in between. I believe that the church through the ages has gotten in a lot of trouble because it said that you're, you're either this or you're that. You're either in or you're out. And we've drawn a lot of lines in the sand to say, well, this group of people is acceptable, this group of people is not. And so if you look this way, you're good. If you look this way, you're not. And we've drawn these divisions in the sand. And so we're faced with this confrontation here where James says, you're either friends with God or you're friends with the world, and never the twain shall meet. And my response, mostly as a conflict avoider, is to say, well, can't we just be both? Can't I be friends with God and friends with the world? Can't I have friends? Is God my only friend? And I believe what James is inviting us to do is, is to say this, maybe put it this way. You can either play the game of life by the world's standards, or you can play the game of life by God's standards. And it's not that these two things can't work together. It's that these are two different ways of living life, and they really don't commingle well together because one challenges the other and one tries to take authority over the other let's talk about that a little bit more when james goes on beginning in verse four he says this but god gives more grace i'm, I'm always thankful for the for the butts and scripture right and i hope that made a few of you giggle at least and the reason why i want that to giggle is because when you read scripture and you see the word but i want you to pay attention Okay? Because anytime you see the word but, you know that everything is about to change. And in a lot of ways, a but is a sign and a symbol that Jesus is present in the world. And that whatever was is about to shift radically in Scripture. So James has just taken a few minutes to outline how all the conflict around us is basically our own faults. Wonderful. Great. How do I resolve the conflict in my life? And he says, well, hold on a second before we get to that. The conflict in your life is because you're trying to live by God's standards and the world's standards at the same time, and these two things don't mingle together. And we're saying, great, how do we fix the problem? And James says, okay, here we go. But God gives more grace. That's why it says, God stands against the proud, the prideful, but favors the humble. Therefore, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will run away from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Cry out in sorrow, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter become mourning, and your joy become sadness. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Now, you may be thinking, why does conflict resolution involve so much mourning, sorrow, and crying? I thought this was going to make things better. It seems like it's just making things a lot worse, right? What James is inviting us to do is he's giving us some practical steps in these passages here about how to resolve the conflict that we experience in our lives. And so what I'd like to do this morning is to invite us to look at how we resolve the conflict. But I want to begin that by showing you that the source of our conflict resolution is the grace of God. 
God's grace active in your life and in my life to give to us the things that we do not deserve, which is namely a second chance when we get it wrong. When we find out that we've been living life according to the world standards or we're playing by the world standards or we can look in our lives and say, I'm a little prideful, I'm a little selfish, I'm a little greedy at times. Grace is abundant because God doesn't give up on us in those moments when we find out that we really are, in fact, sinners. Grace rushes in, fills the gap, reminds us of God's love and forgiveness for you and for me, and says, come, child, let me show you a better way. So remember that all this hinges on God's grace at work in your life and in my life. And so what James tells us first is that we ought to submit to God. And he tells us basically that we ought to submit ourselves to God's will. Now the challenge with that is, what is God's will? It doesn't exactly write itself on the wall usually. Well, I guess sometimes it writes itself on this wall, doesn't it? Sometimes it can be hard to know what God's will is. But I don't think that's the reason why we struggle with doing what God calls us to do. I know for me, the reason why I struggle with following Jesus is not because I don't inherently know what it means to do that. Mostly it's just because it's contradictory to what I want to do with my own life. That I have a will and desire and sometimes those things get out of hand and they get selfish and God's invitation to follow him takes me down a different path. One that doesn't make me the center of the universe. And that's hard at times. Basically, following God's will will sometimes put us into conflict with our own will and our own desires. But God gives us the free will to choose to follow him or not. God doesn't mandate that we follow him and then determine every step for us. God invites us on a journey to follow him. And our free will is to choose to follow or not. To choose to follow as imperfectly as we can behind God. But we struggle because it highlights our challenge of giving over control of your life and my life to God. And quite honestly, some areas are harder for us. Things that are easy for you are hard for me. Things that might come easy to me might be hard for you. The truth is, is it would be pointless to list a list of things that we struggle with or things that cause us to not follow God or to struggle with God's will. The reality is, is that there are certain things in your life and in my life and they may look different. But every single one of us this morning has struggles and challenges where it is hard for us to give over control of our lives to God's care and God's leading. And I believe the more we can admit that this is hard to do, it's hard to be a Christian, I think the better we are on track to follow God. The next piece of advice that James gives is that we ought to resist the devil. Which maybe that sounds kind of odd in 2019 and an enlightened and intelligent generation as ours. There's probably lots of question marks out there in the world about the devil. When I read that particular passage, I'm reminded of our baptism vows. Uh, And some of you have had children baptized here. Some of you have been baptized here at Sister Church. But all of you, whether you're baptized in Methodist Church or not, a part of what we do in the Methodist Church are these baptism vows. And I want to read them to you this morning. The first thing that we ask someone who's being baptized is this. On behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you reject all that is evil? Repent of your sin 
and accept the freedom and the power that God gives you, listen to this, to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. The very first question that we ask ourselves in baptism is, do we reject evil? And the devil and Satan is the reminder, the presence, the reality of evil in the world. And so what James tells us is to resist the devil, to resist evil in every form that it presents itself. And our baptism vows remind us that we have the freedom and the power that God gives us to resist evil. Evil can be seen in many forms. The one that comes first to mind for me uh, is human trafficking. And this idea that individuals are placed into a system. And in my mind, the only thing I can call human trafficking is evil. It's pure evil at work in the world. And in our baptism vows, we are called to actively reject and resist evil in the world. You are also called to resist injustice. Injustice shows up in a lot of forms. And in our team devotion, we were talking about one this morning in another local church, Oasis Church, over on Avalon, and how they are taking steps to help uh, refugee children in Texas to have just the basic needs and essentials. And I don't have to detail the stories and the pictures that we've heard coming out of parts of our own country where children, as would be free to worship in here, are being treated like prisoners. And we look at this and we say, this is an injustice, and our baptism vows call us to take an active step in whatever way we can, as small, maybe insignificant as that may seem, to do something to change that injustice and to see God's justice at work. For me, it's a reminder that the church has perpetrated for a long time a lot of injustice by keeping people out because of all kinds of reasons. And for me personally, and I hope for our church too, that we can be the kind of community where someone who is, for example, in the LGBTQ community can be a full and active and welcome member in the church. I think for too long we've had this system of injustice where they were treated as second-class citizens in the community of faith. And lastly, James tells us that evil looks like oppression. And oppression can take a lot of forms. It can be physical oppression or it can be spiritual oppression. It can be emotional oppression. I don't have to tell you that oppression can take a lot of forms in people's lives. And James is telling us that the conflict that we see around us, that we are called to find ways to overcome it, to break those chains and to break those cycles. And just in case no one said this recently, this was put on, a, um, on one of those church bulletin boards out front. You know, like the little things you can put like the little channel letters in. And it's one of my favorite sayings. It, it goes like this. You can have Jesus and a therapist too. Right? You can have Jesus and a therapist too. There's a lot of cycles of oppression in our lives that are important that we pray about and seek God's help on in the power of the community but to know that God also works through trained counselors and specialists in the world. So James is telling us that the conflict that we see around us, it involves us submitting to God, it involves us resisting the devil and the evil around us, but it also invites us to come near to God. And I just love the simplicity of how, Jesus writes, or of how James writes this. Draw near to God in your conflict, and God will draw near to you. I don't feel like there's a lot else that I can add to that particular point other than to say when you find yourself in conflict and it becomes overwhelming and all-consuming, 
draw near to God. And even if it's hard to discern in the moment, know that God draws near to you. Maybe for some of us, that's a verse that you want to write down or make a note of later so you can carry it on a piece of paper or on your phone so you can remind yourself that, that I need to draw near to God in prayer or in silence or being still. And I need to know, even if I can't tangibly feel it right now, that God is drawing near to me. And finally, James tells us to wash our hands and to purify our hearts. And when he says wash our hands, what he's telling us to do uh, is to think about the, 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 our actions in the world, our hands and our hearts, which is our source of intention. And he's saying purify not just the things outside of yourselves, but also the things in yourselves. Conflict comes from within, but the source to fixing that is to purify our hands, to put our hands towards good things, and to purify our hearts, to focus our hearts and our minds on the things of God. And, and just in case you're like me and you're thinking this morning, like, wow, those were like four points. And if you know anything about preaching, you're only supposed to do three points. So my bad. So maybe you're thinking, well, I'd love a great way just to kind of summarize all of those together. Well, James has us covered. In verse 10, he summarizes everything he just said with this simple but powerful phrase. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Remember how we talked about how we try to be friends with the world, and we try to lift ourselves up and be lifted up by the world's standards? James is telling us, as hard as it is, to not worry about lifting up ourselves, but to humble ourselves and submit to God, to try to allow God to work in our life in such a way, and God will take care to make sure that we're lifted up. And it may not look exactly like you and I hope. It may not be uh, the prosperity or the finances or the cars that we like or the things that we want. But to know that as we're lifted up, we're drawn closer to Jesus himself. So in summary, James is asking us to humble ourselves before the Lord. And if we can find a way to do that, we will see the conflict change in and around us. So if you are struggling with conflict, and, and hopefully you've still got that thing in mind that was causing you conflict in your life. You, you still have that? Do you remember what you thought about a few minutes ago? Like it's Sunday morning, I had a cup of coffee, but hopefully, hopefully you still have that conflict, right? I want to invite you to ask yourself this question. Who am I trying to please? Awesome answer. Thank you, Jude. When we are experiencing conflict, whether that conflict is within ourselves, what should I do in this scenario or this situation? Whether that conflict is with another person, if we can ask ourselves, who am I trying to please, we will get to the source of the conflict in ourselves. So if I'm in conflict with someone else and I figure out who am I trying to please, I might find that I'm trying to get what I want at the expense of someone else. And I'm trying to please myself. The scenario might go that I'm trying to please someone else. And you may say, well, that's a good thing, right? It's only a good thing to the extent that we're not making ourselves a doormat or we're not lifting up someone else's needs and neglecting our own. Sometimes conflict is because we've given too much to others and we're not caring well for ourselves. Sometimes conflict is triangulated and we're experiencing that because this person wants this from us and this person wants this from us and these two people aren't working together, but... We're the ones who have to solve this issue, right? That gets messy. I don't know if I should please them or them, and they're not pleasing each other. 
But if we can get to the source of who am I trying to please, we can unravel that. And then we can in our head remind ourselves that our call is to be pleasing to God, to be friends with God. And if we can lift that up as our standard, then that'll help us in our conflict. A decision that is made from trying to please God will de-escalate conflict. Uh, That decision to please God will remove us from unhealthy people and unhealthy situations in our life. That decision to please God will invite us to stand up for injustice and evil and oppression, which will also create more conflict. But recognize that the place where we're creating conflict is within systems that are evil and oppressive. And by connecting with God and pleasing God, we're creating conflict in the right places where things need to change. And so in summary, I'd like to share a quote that I came across this week uh, because I think it summarizes this whole idea of what does it look like to humble ourselves and to submit to God's will. Uh, And it comes from one of my favorite authors, Eugene Peterson. And he wrote this in the introduction to his paraphrase of the Bible called The Message. He writes this. It's kind of his summary of the book of Genesis. First, God. God is the subject of life. God is foundational for living. If we don't have a sense of the primacy of God, we will never get it right. Get life right. Get our lives right. Not God at the margins. Not God as an option. Not God on the weekends. God at the center and the circumference. God first and last. God, God, God. When I read that, it recenters me and reminds me of the place that God claims in my life and in your life to be at our center and at our circumference, the first and the last. And with God's grace and God's help, we can make decisions that will resolve conflict in our lives, conflict in the lives around us, and begin to change this world into what God intends it to look like. Uh, and so this morning, we'll, we'll continue another uh, new tradition for us. I, th- I feel like I always say things are new, but we're a new church. So everything's new for us. Uh, a few weeks ago, in our prayer time, we started lifting up uh, our Lord, the Lord's Prayer, and we started doing it in three different languages, the majority languages of our community here in the neighborhood. And what we're inviting people to do is, as we pray the Lord's Prayer, to pray it in whatever native language is most familiar to you. So perhaps it's English or Portuguese or Spanish, or maybe it's German or French. What I love about this is the Lord's Prayer is universal. It was given by Jesus. It's a thing that unites us together. But I want to call attention to two parts of that prayer. When we pray, hallowed be thy name, what we're doing is we're submitting ourselves to God and we're saying, we're lifting up your name and not my name. Right? We're humbling ourselves as we pray. And then the next section, your kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What we're saying is, Lord, anywhere in this world where there's conflict, where there's injustice, where things don't look as they should, we pray that your kingdom would make those things right. And so in some ways, just by praying this prayer together, we're opening ourselves up to what James is calling us to do and humbling ourselves. And so I believe as we pray together, we're practicing in here how we live out there. Thanks for listening. Make sure to visit our website, citruschurch.org. If you found refreshments in this message, share it with a friend. And hey, 
God loves you.